0: Beloved congregation, in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is only one gospel of God. There is one gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is one, and there is one only. Beginning from the book of Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation, we find one Savior. There is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Just think about Genesis chapter 3. The the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. There was the one seed when Paul picks that up in Galatians 4, and that is Jesus Christ. There is one. There are not multiple Saviors. There is one Savior, and His name is Jesus. And if you do not come to Him, you will not be saved. Jesus said, You will die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am He, this one is God come in the flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that was made, and in Him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. This is the God incarnate. And you will call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. It's Christ who saves. Thinking again about John chapter 1, the disciples said, Look, we have found Jesus, the one who was prophesied by Moses. Moses spoke about him. The one in the Old Testament prophets spoke about him. We have found the Messiah. He doesn't say messiahs, he said the messiah. The definite article, the messiah, exclusive, the only messiah. There is only one. Man is always trying to bring something else in. He is always trying to present himself before God by his own fig leaves. We should learn this right from the book of Genesis, right? Right from chapter 3. This is where we find that God takes off the fig leaves and He covers them with the animal skins. Why? Because there is no other way to be saved. You cannot come your way. That's how it is in this world. We think it's our way. We think if we're genuine and we're sincere, that God accepts it because our genuineness. We could be sincerely wrong, be damned and under the wrath and curse of God. We are to trust the teaching of God's word. We are to believe on the gospel. The Apostle Paul told the Galatians if any other, if somebody comes to you, even an angel from heaven, and preaches to you any other gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he says, let him be accursed. That's what anathema means. Let him be stricken from the face of the earth. Let him be damned. That's what Paul says. Someone comes. With another gospel, which Paul says is not another. Because there is only one gospel of God. Let them be accursed. I told you the time when the Mormons came to my house. And I invited them in. Had them sit down. They were excited. Hey, we got a dummy here. Well, they had a dummy, but not in theology. So I asked them the question before they even got started. Tell me the bad news. They had no idea what I'm talking about. Well, when I came to the door, I asked you what you guys were doing. And you said, you're going around telling the good news. And I said, that presupposes bad news. Tell me the bad news. We'll get to the good news. Tell me the bad news. They didn't know. Well, here's the bad news. That we're rebels in the sight of God. That all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that I don't even want God in any of my thinking. That I want to be my own God. That I want to be a law unto myself. I want to go my own way and do my own thing. And I don't want anybody to tell me where I can go or what I can do. And because of that, as a rebel in God's universe, I am under the wrath and curse of God. That is the bad news. And I cannot reform myself, and I have no desire to do so. And because of that, I am only destined for damnation and torment. Well, their eyes got really big. And I said, Now let me tell you the good news, because you don't have good news when you go around telling people that you have to do this, that, and the other thing to be right with God, that's not good. I am unable to fulfill the law's demands. Even as a believer, I don't fulfill the law's demands. Christ has fulfilled in my place. He is my righteousness. That is the good news. And if anyone comes to you, beloved, saying you have to do this to be accepted by God and enter into His kingdom, that is one you need to run from immediately. Because that is not good. That is not the gospel of God. That is not Jesus Christ. Our hope, our stay, our comfort, our confidence is Jesus. His perfect works His life, His death, His resurrection, His ascension, His session, His sitting at the right hand of the Father ruling over all things and coming again to redeem us, to consummate the kingdom that we might dwell in His kingdom forever. There is one mediator. The Scripture knows of no other. One and one alone. God gave one way of salvation. I mean, just think about the book of John. Jesus told the Pharisees, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, because he wrote about me. He said, you search the scriptures, because in them you think you have eternal life. But these, these scriptures bear witness of me. They testify of me. He said that he is the bread of life in John 6. He said he is the living water in John 7. He said he is the light of the world, John 8 and John 9. He said he is the good shepherd in John 10. That I am the resurrection and the life in John 11. The definite article, none other. I alone am all these things. There is no other hope. There is no other life. Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Notice, no one comes to the Father but by Me. Beloved, you can't get there by your own way. You can't get there by your obedience. You can't get there by your giving. You can't get there by your church membership. You can't get there by your religion. You can't get there by you doing things in the society. You can only come by way of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who is our key to heaven. Christ is heaven for the believer. Notice, I have this sheet here and I usually don't ever bring things because I have a hard time reading them. But I have a hard time memorizing all of this. And I am not going to read all of this. There is a bunch. Jesus, He is the advocate, the Almighty. The Alpha and the Omega, the Amen, the atoning sacrifice, the author of life, the author and perfecter of our faith, the author of salvation, the beginning and the end, the bread of God, the bread of life, the capstone, the chief cornerstone, the chief shepherd, the Christ, the creator, the deliverer, the eternal life, the everlasting one, the true and faithful witness, the first and the last, the Firstborn from the dead. He is called God, the Good Shepherd, the Great Shepherd, the Great High Priest, the Head of the Church, the High Priest, the Only Holy One and the True One, the Hope and the Glory, the Horn of Salvation, the I Am, the King Eternal, the King of Kings, the Lamb of God, the Life, the Light of the World, the Lion of the Tribe of Judah, the Living One, the Living Stone, the Lord of All, the Lord of Glory, the Lord of Lords. The mighty God, the morning star, our holiness, our redemption, our righteousness, our Passover land, precious cornerstone, Prince of Peace, Prophet, resurrection and life, the rock, the Savior, the Son of David, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the one mediator, the stone, the builders rejected, the true bread, the true light, the true vine, the truth, the way, the wisdom of God, the wonderful counselor, the Word of God. There's more. This is Christ. It all points to Him as the only Savior among men. That's what our text teaches us this morning. We don't live in that society. We live in a society that thinks there are many ways to God. And it doesn't really matter what you believe, only that you believe. How nebulous is that? Believe what? You cannot believe wrongly about Christ as Redeemer and think that you're on the highway to heaven. If you think wrongly about Christ, if you do not believe that He is the great I Am, God come in the flesh, the One who said before Abraham was, I am the Eternal One, going right back to Exodus chapter 3. Moses said, Who should I tell the children of Israel that sent me? You tell him I am sent you to them. This is who Jesus says that He is. The great I am. The eternal one. This is the, 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 the present tense of the word to be. He is. If you don't believe that, you can't be saved. You must come to Jesus. You must be one who abandons all others, all other things. And look to Jesus. You must abandon all other means. And embrace Jesus. Beloved, there is no other. And anybody that tells you that there is another way to salvation is a false teacher and is under the wrath and curse of God Himself. All the promises of God are yea and amen in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. All the promises. He alone is the one who crushes the head of the serpent, He is the rock who grinds to powder. He is the Lord of all the lords of the earth. He is the King of all the kings of the earth. He is the only Savior among men, as His name is Jesus, which is a transliteration of Joshua, which means Jehovah's salvation. There is no mistaking who this one is. He is God incarnate to save His people. He is Jehovah's salvation. There is none like Him. He's truly God and truly man in one person to save a multitude, to come to do what Adam failed to do, and then He came to redeem a multitude from all the tribes, tongues, and nations of the world to fulfill the covenant promise, to redeem as many as the sand by the seashore in number and as the stars in the heaven. Glorious Redeemer that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, when we tell people That as long as they're sincere, that's okay. We are denying Christ. When you tell somebody there are other ways to get to heaven, you are denying Christ. That is blasphemous. You are to be bold in the truth. We don't have that today. I'm saddened by that. We don't have boldness. We think that if you're bold and you're forthright and you're direct in the truth, that you're unloving. I was talking to an individual just a couple of days ago and they were asking me some questions and I, I came, you, you know me, I straight line it. And I came right at it. And the individual said, you know what, man, you, you're like forthright black and you just You just say it the way it is. Why beat around the bush? Why go around all these gyrations to try to please people? This is the truth. This is error. Now, I didn't scream at you. I wasn't rude and obnoxious. I just simply said, this is what the Bible says. It's totally irrelevant what I think. It only matters what God says in His Word. Wow, and they just they couldn't understand that. That was so direct. We think that that's unloving in our day. To tell people directly about the truth and about error. It's a sad day in which we live. Now, notice what happens in verse 8 of our scripture reading. This is what you find with Peter. Notice what's described about him. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. How does he behave as one who is filled with the Holy Spirit? He he, he gets right up into the grill of the religious rulers, doesn't he? He's right up in their face. He said to them, you rulers and people of, of elders of Israel. He's addressing them. He's bold to address them. And he says, if we're judged because of a deed done to this helpless man by what means he has been made well, which Peter says, is by the Lord Jesus Christ that this man is made well. Let it be known to you that the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. How and why do you have the things that you have? By the providential hand of God. Why do we fudge on that in our day and age? Why do we quibble about that before the unbelieving world? Why do we use the words that the world uses? I'll tell you why. Because it's less offensive, isn't it? Because when you speak about the providence of God, you put yourself out there. Now, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by the providence of God? Because the world speaks of luck and chance and fortune and out of the blue. I hear lots of Christians speaking that way. I heard them on the radio this week. It just just so happened. It's just out of the blue. Nothing happens like that. It is all governed and directed by the providential hand of God. Why do we not have the boldness to say such? Well, I tell you, one reason said right here, we are not filled with the Holy Spirit. Because the filling of the Holy Spirit brings boldness to the life of the Christian. Not arrogance. Boldness. You know what boldness is? It's having the ability to speak the truth despite of all the consequences around you and all the situations everywhere around that may seem opposite or contrary to what the Bible says. This is exactly what Peter and John do. They are told, don't speak in the name of this man. And they're going to speak it. Doesn't matter. You know, you judge. We can't stop speaking the things that we have seen and we have heard. Well, some of you haven't even got around to get busy about speaking. And all I can say is that, that is directly related to not being in the means of Grace. Because when you're not in the Word of God, you're not going to have boldness. You're not going to be filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit is to be dominated by the Word of God. And then you're not going to be intimidated by the people in this world. You're going to love them enough to speak the truth to them. Whether there's one or a hundred and one, you're going to say it. Because you love the Lord and you love your neighbor. And so you speak. Beloved, we need this today, we need this desperately. We have to be praying for the filling of the Holy Spirit. That our minds would be so filled that we would be bold as those that are a Christian soldier marching as to war spiritually. With the cross of Jesus going on before. What is that emblematic of one way of salvation? The cross of Jesus Christ. And no other way. So, notice our text. Peter is picking this up from Psalm 118. When he speaks about Jesus, God raised him from the dead. And it's by Jesus that this lame man for over 40 years is made well. This Jesus is the stone that, notice he says, you builders rejected. That's boldness that's courage when we speak of encouraging one another it means we are putting courage to the mind because there are lots of days that we are not courageous there's lots of days that we are feeble there is lots of days where we're timid and to encourage someone is to put courage to the mind And you do that, beloved, with God's Word. God is with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Somebody in the hospital going through a difficult bout of whatever they're dealing with and you speak to them the truth and the promises of God. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds His people from this time forth even forevermore. That's putting courage to somebody's mind. It's emboldening that individual to be courageous in this fallen world. That's few and far between in our day and age. The ability to speak up in the midst of controversy and opposition, the truth of Jesus Christ. How often do you hear that? You often hear people that don't say anything because somebody might say something to me. They might get angry with me. Peter tells them the stone which was rejected by you builders. Peter, you know, there is a a little bit of a a variation of what you read in the Old Testament and this uh, Psalm 118. Simply because Peter is, this is a quote from the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures. He's speaking to Greek speaking people, so it makes sense. He's going to use the Septuagint, and he does, and he includes the you, you builders. You did it. You rejected the Christ, who was the stone. Uh, we think about the Petra and the Petros, that, that is not even the word that's used here. Uh, that Peter speaks about the the stone has the the implications of of foundation of building. That's what they built with, was with stone. So you're thinking about a stone, and Christ is called the capstone or the corner stone. They were re- he was rejected, um, but this is the one who is the chief cornerstone. Now the, the chief cornerstone. And he uses the word rejected there, it means despised. So we find in Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected. But the chief cornerstone is what kept the building up. It wasn't the foundation. It was the chief cornerstone that upheld all of the building. As a matter of fact, what you find in the the New Testament is that the foundation was laid by the apostles and prophets. Christ is the chief cornerstone who holds up the building The church, the people of God, we are on the rock, Christ Jesus. If you're not on the rock, Christ Jesus, then He's going to grind you to powder. If you're on the rock, Christ Jesus, you're broken to pieces. That's the humility. You're broken. You are one who is taken out of yourself, as it were. You look to Christ, your confidence isn't in you. You've been broken. You stand upon the rock. He is the foundation He is the one in whom your life is built upon. And so when the troubles, the trials, the wind, the rain, the storms come, spiritually speaking, I'm not moved. Because I'm standing upon the rock. I'm not on sand. I'm not trusting in my ingenuity or my stick to it or my doing. Trusting in the rock Christ Jesus and Him alone. He is the chief cornerstone. Beloved, if, if you reject the gospel, you've rejected the one who holds up the entire building, the whole of the church supported by Christ, without which there is no church. But let me say, make another point here. Notice the close proximity of the chief cornerstone and the rest of the building. They're all interconnected. We, we at times make this kind of a statement That Christ is central to my life. And yet we don't live that way. We live as if the church is just one other thing out there on the, the hub of the wheel of our life. That's how a lot of people think of it. And the hub, you'll say, that's the center of my life. And that's Christ dwells in my heart. And then all the spokes like a bicycle wheel, they go out to the edge of the rim. And then you have my job, my hobbies, you know, my, my family and all the other things. And you've got church mixed in there as well. If you're looking at it that way, which is a false paradigm. But anything then cancels out the church. Any of these activities will cancel out the church. And don't tell me it doesn't. Because I've watched this over the last 20 years as a pastor. Again and again and again. Things canceling out the church. Why is that a false paradigm? Because Christ is always with His church. That means that everything in our lives, if Christ is central to our life, the church is central to your life. And that means everything out there in my life is directed by Christ and His church. That if I can't do this, I won't do that. We need to understand that, Christ supporting us. We rest upon Him. Not just you and me, the whole of the church of Jesus Christ. All those that are bought and purchased by Him. He's rejected by the religious rulers. But He is the chief cornerstone. Peter goes on and he says, nor is there salvation in any other. That's exclusive. We live in a day of inclusion. Everybody and everything to include in our salvation. This is exclusive. This excludes everybody and everything else. It excludes you as working your way into heaven. It excludes your church membership. It excludes your baptism. It excludes your confirmation. It excludes everything and anything you could do or think. It's all excluded with regards to your salvation. Exclusively Christ. It's not according to the rights and the rules of the church. It's not according to you taking the Lord's Supper. You giving in the offering plate. These are good things. These are things that the Christians are involved in. They are good things. They do nothing, beloved, for your salvation. Baptism doesn't save you. Taking the Lord's Supper does not save you. Church membership does not save you. Confirmation does not save you. Christ saves. Your faith does not save you. Christ saves you. Faith is an instrument that keeps us in union with Jesus Christ and receives all of His benefits. Your faith is not to be in your faith. Your faith is to be in Jesus Christ. There is salvation in none other. Away with the nonsense. Away with the blasphemy today of talking to people who are of other faiths and saying that as long as you're genuine and sincere... Away with telling those that are devout Roman Catholics, well, you're going to be in the kingdom of heaven. They are not believing exclusively on Christ as their salvation. You are doing them not a service. You are doing them a disservice. You are hating them, beloved. To not tell them the truth is to hate them. I don't know where we get off base with this stuff. We are so interested and concerned about everybody liking us. That we don't ever get around to speaking the truth because it's going to offend. They're not going to like me anymore. Well, this may be a news flash to you, but a lot of people probably don't like you anyway. I know a lot of people don't like me. And they don't like me for those reasons. I don't care. If I'm so concerned about that, how am I going to be a servant of God if I'm a man pleaser? Paul says this in Galatians chapter 1. If I seek to please men, I cannot be the slave of Christ. You can't do both. You know why? Because I won't tell you what you need to hear. I find a lot of preaching deficient in this way. It's not what they say, it's what they don't say. It's what they're afraid to say. Why? Because there's man-pleasing there. If I say it, it's going to upset somebody. They might get angry with me. I might have problems in the church. i got problems in the church whether I say it or whether I don't. Paul makes it clear. You've got to speak the truth. You have got to tell people. In a day and age where people don't want to speak the truth, or you can have your truth and I can have my truth, you've got to speak the truth, Beloved. You have got to tell people that only one gospel, only one Christ, only one way of salvation, and it is Christ, and He even grants me the faith to believe. To believe on Him, to embrace Him. Peter says, nor is there salvation. This is, soteria is redeeming, the redemption of our souls. Of bringing us from death and darkness to light and life in Jesus Christ. There's only one that can do it. We are translated from death and darkness into the light by Jesus Christ. He is the Savior. For there is no other name. He's saying it, it is almost like a, a Hebrew parallelism. He's almost saying the same thing, but he's saying it in a different way. There is salvation in none other, and there is no other name. None. This is a part for the whole. What it means by no other name, it means the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The fullness of all that He is and all that He has done. When we believe on Jesus Christ, you receive all of His benefits. All of His works. His positive obedience. His that on the cross. In His passive obedience. Call it the active and the passive obedience of Christ. That He endured the suffering in our place. You receive it all. All that He did, He did in your behalf, in your place, in your stead. And you are complete in Him. There is no other name under heaven. It's not that there's just no other name. There's no other name under heaven. And beloved, all of us dwell under heaven, don't we? There is one that has been given. There is one who came from heaven to earth. There is one who is the manna who became man. And His name is Jesus. Do you look to something else for your acceptance with God? Are you looking to your work? Are you looking to your church membership? Are you looking that you're honest in your business dealings? Do you say you're a good person? What are you looking to? What are you trusting in? What is your hope? It's the foundation. Where is that laid? Is it in Christ? Or is it in you? There is no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. We must be saved. We must be saved because we are those that are in enmity with God. We must be saved because we are on the broad road that leads to destruction apart from salvation in Christ. We must be saved or we perish. We must be saved or we incur the wrath of God and suffer the just judgment against our sins forever. We must be saved. We have a necessity, beloved, to be saved, to be redeemed. And how is that? How does salvation come? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. I want to encourage your parents. I know when you have young kids... I know they don't necessarily like sitting and hearing sermons and teachings. You know what? Too bad. You bring them. Because it could only take one sermon where the Holy Spirit works in the heart of these children. You are showing and doing the most loving thing that you can for your children. Showing a concern for their eternal destiny. Where they are going to spend eternity. We're all going to live forever. Where? What address? It's heaven or hell. You are doing a great service and you are showing an abundant love to your children by bringing and enduring, enduring the crying, the fidgeting, the fussing, all the other things that kids do. We understand. We did them too. But they hear. And there are times where I see the kids' heads come up because they're hearing something. And it only takes one time for the Holy Spirit to create that faith in their heart. That is how faith comes. Do you love your children enough to bring them, to teach them, to instruct them what it means to worship God? That this is a reverential time that we gather together? How glorious it is in what Christ has done on our behalf? Do you teach them and instruct them? Do you love them in that way? Do you endure the hardship Of having to do instruction at home to prepare them for the worship on the Lord's Day, that's loving your kids. Don't let anybody tell you different. That is loving your kids. You parents are loving your kids. Every Lord's Day, you bring them again and again and again. And I know that sometimes the frustration level comes. I know, I understand it. You are loving them, you are honoring God by what you're doing. Keep on doing it and I'll go further than that. Prepare your heart to deal with them on the Lord's day. How is that? Pray for them. Pray that the Holy Spirit would work faith in their heart, that he would kindle an upright faith, that he would raise them up spiritually to new life. He alone can do it. Cause them to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to embrace him. That is families together for eternity. We have in this life, uh, we have a, a lot of separation because there are a lot of believing and unbelieving people in families. We have that in the churches as well. If you really love them and are concerned about their eternal destiny, pray for them. Pray for your kids. Be committed to pray. Not one time. Let me say this. You mothers and fathers, you pray until you know and you see signs of new birth in your child. You keep storming the gates of heaven. You storm the gates of heaven as the people of God, and you bring that request to the Lord. You keep on doing it until you know, until they demonstrate, they show a fruit of salvation in Jesus Christ. That is love, that's salvation. There's only one way to be saved. Are you saved? Do you have saving faith? Have you abandoned everything of you? All that you are? All that you've done? Have you forsaken everybody else and lay hold of Jesus Christ? Has the Holy Spirit worked that faith in your heart? Beloved, there is no other way. We must tell people of Jesus because the Holy Spirit works through the gospel message to bring salvation to the hearts of people. And as Charles Spurgeon once famously said, if all of God's elect had a yellow E painted on their backs, I would run up and down the streets of London, flipping up the coattails and preaching to them. But since he hasn't done that, I preach to all men preaching salvation in Christ and in Him alone. This is what our text says. There is no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. Amen. Shall we pray?